the Bible reading today is from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 6 to the end. Revelation 22, verse 6. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. (coughs) Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life or in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Thanks, Peter. Do keep that open in front of you and let's pray together as we look at it. Father in heaven, thank you for your word to us. Lord, please open your word up to us that we might understand it and open us up to your word that we might live according to it. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as you know, all good children's stories end with the familiar words that you can see up there on the screen. They lived happily ever after. Whatever the adventure, whatever the mishaps along the way, it all comes together in the end and they lived happily ever after. Well, the biblical equivalent of those words are found in Revelation chapter 22, where we left off last week, verses 3 through to 5. No longer will they be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, 
There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. What a beautiful conclusion that is, not just to the book of Revelation, but to the whole story of the Bible. You see, for the Christian, for the Christian, the day will come when we walk up the aisle in heaven and we stand face to face with our Savior. Whether that's us going to meet him or whether the Lord Jesus comes back first, we will stand face to face with Christ. His name will be on our foreheads, etched upon us. We belong to him for all eternity. And in the new creation, there'll be no more night, no evil, sickness, sorrow, suffering, grumbling, ingratitude, all gone. All done away with, for the old order of things has passed away. And there will not need any light of a lamp or the sun. For the glory of God will shine and his goodness will penetrate every corner of the new creation and there we will reign with him forever and ever. For the Christian, that is the conclusion, that is the end to which all of history is heading. And today, as we conclude this series, we're reminded that that day, that great day of consummation, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in glory, is just around the corner. Look at the words of Jesus. Verse 7, he says the same thing three times in verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. Look, he says, behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes. Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And just in case it wasn't clear enough, we see the same principle down in verse 10. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll. Why? Because the time is near. Question is how near? How soon? When is that day coming when Jesus comes back in glory? It's the same question the church has been asking for nearly 2,000 years. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote his first letter back to the church in Thessalonica to address primarily that very question. They expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime, and he hadn't, and he still hasn't. So what does Jesus mean then when he says he is coming back soon? Well, turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Peter. And we're going to read uh, chapter 3. And we're going to start from verse 8. It's what the Apostle Peter says. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. Two thousand years for us. Two millennia that has gone by is like two days. In God's eternal calendar. You see, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God is not failing to deliver on his promise when he says he's coming soon. On the contrary, in his incredible patience and kindness, he is holding back that day. He is holding back his return. And in so doing, he is giving all people everywhere the opportunity to repent, to come back to him, to acknowledge their sin, to fall at the feet of their Savior and to say sorry before it's too late. 
Because he goes on to say in verse 10 that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night when you least expect it. Normal life will just be happening. People will be out walking their dogs in the morning. Children will be sat at the bus stop with their earphones in waiting for the school bus to pick them up. People will be cramming onto the London Underground, ready to spill out their places of work. Normal life. It goes round and it goes round and it goes round. And Jesus is coming back like that. Like a thief in the night when we least expect it. And when he does, verse 10, second part, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he does, he will clear out the old creation and he will bring in the new. You see, we don't know the exact date of his return. We're not meant to. But this we do know. Nothing else needs to happen. This is the next day in God's eternal heavenly calendar. Jesus has died for sin. He's risen to new life. He's ascended into glory. He sits at his father's right hand and he rules and reigns the entire cosmos. And the next date in God's diary is he's coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. And we are just called to be ready. Ready for the day of his return. And the last bit of Revelation chapter 22 where we find ourselves this morning is written, I think, to help us do just that. You see, the story could have ended in verse 5, couldn't it? The happily ever ending story, the end of verse 5, and they will reign forever and ever. But the Bible doesn't finish there. We've got another half a chapter to go. Because in chapter 22, we're brought back down from heaven to earth. From this vision of this glorious new creation, what will be ours, we're brought back down from there to the nitty gritty of daily life with some final considerations for us. Instructions that God in his kindness wants to leave with us to help us as we continue to press on towards that great day. And I think there's two key instructions that we need to listen to this morning. And the first one, in view of the coming of Christ, is this. God's people keep God's word. Verse 6, the angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord God, who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Do you remember where we began this series? Back in Revelation chapter 4, as God draws back the curtain of heaven and gives us a glimpse of these previously unseen heavenly realities. Point being, this is God's revelation. God is revealing things that we need to know about himself. This is God's word. And what is true of the book of Revelation is true of every single book of the Bible. Every single word we find in scripture is trustworthy and true. Do you remember the vision of Jesus in chapter 19 returning as the conquering king from heaven and his white horse? Do you remember one of his names? He had four names. One of his names was faithful and true. You see, God's word is faithful and true trustworthy and true because the source of that word is faithful and true 
God's word is reliable because God is reliable. And he tells us that he's given us everything that we need in his word. It is perfect, it is complete, and it is sufficient. Have a look down at verse 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. Do not add to God's word. Do not take away from God's word because God's word is sufficient and it is complete. And that's why as a church we are committed in this place to expository preaching through teaching through every single book of the Bible. We do do thematic stuff. We start in one next week with the Uncomfortable series. But our normal way of teaching the Bible is to take a book and is to work our way through it systematically. Not just to teach our favourite bits or the bits that we want to teach, but to teach the full counsel of God. Because every word of God's word needs to be heard. It's trustworthy and true, and he's given it to us because it is good for our souls. Someone said to me a few weeks back, I think it was after preaching on Revelation chapter 8 and 9 and the seven trumpets, which is a particularly hard bit of the Bible to understand and to accept, and they said to me on the door, Cor, you're brave preaching on that. I said, well, I didn't say this, but I, I thought this. I maybe should have said it. I don't think it's a case of being brave. It's a case of believing verse 6 on the screen. Every single word of scripture is trustworthy and true. And we need to hear every word of it. So please don't be like those people who sometimes take a red pen to God's word. Cross bits out, take that page out. It doesn't fit with my current cultural view of life. I don't like that particular understanding of God, who he is. I like that bit. I'll take that bit of God. I like that. That makes me smile. That bit that I'm not so sure about. It is not our job to take a pen, a red pen to the word of God. Every single word he has given to us. And it is good for our souls. All scripture is God breathed. Not part of it. All of it. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And because it's God's word, there is great blessing in keeping it. Verse seven. Look, says Jesus, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Keeping equals blessing. Yeah? Keeping equals blessing. When I was eight years old, um, I was given a book for my birthday called Kevin Keegan's Soccer Tactics. And it's basically, it was a book of Kevin Keegan with lots of freeze frame photos of Kevin doing all his tricks and skills and the basics of the game. Idea being, you follow these pictures and you become like Kevin Keegan and so I'm reading this book really excited I'm going to become just like Kevin wonderful it's not long is it till that book becomes pretty stale if I just sit in my bedroom and read Kevin Keegan's soccer tactics someone tell me when does that book come alive when does it come alive when I go out and put it into practice in the field of play 
When I strike a ball and it goes 30 yards and it does not move from its course. When I do a little Cruyff turn maybe and a defender keeps going that way and I've gone that way and that makes me smile. Kevin Keegan's soccer tactics was not designed to be read in a study. It was designed to be lived out in the field of play. And so it is with the Bible. The Bible is not meant to be read in a study and kept there. It is meant to be lived out in the field of life and of play. We see the same thing, look in the book of James. Chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen. Don't just listen to God's word. If you're doing that this morning and not acting upon it, you're deceiving yourselves, he says. Do what it says. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that is God's word, it gives freedom, it gives life, it liberates people and continues to do so. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. There is blessing in obedience. There is blessing in keeping the word of God. And if you want to know what that looks like, to live out the keeping of God's word. Well, it's there in verse 8 and 9, isn't it? I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. No, 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 John, what are you doing? The angel says to him, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll Worship God. That is what true obedience looks like. Full surrender to God Almighty. To worship Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. Not just singing on a Sunday morning, but living for Jesus on a Monday morning. He doesn't just want bits of me. He wants my whole life given back to Him. In worship, there is great blessing in keeping God's word. And lastly, there is great blessing in sharing God's word. Last point in this section, verse 10. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Friends, do not seal up these words. Don't hide your Bible away somewhere in the corner gathering dust on a shelf. Don't seal it up, open it up. And keep it open, not just for your own good, but for the good of others as well. Husbands, open it up with your wives. That is your God-given responsibility. Parents, open it up with your children. That is your God-given responsibility. Home group leaders, Open it up with your home groups. That is your God-given responsibility. Pastors, open it up with your church. That is your God-given responsibility. Christians, open it up with the world. Because that is your God-given responsibility. Let me ask you a question as I try and drive that point home a little bit further. Tomorrow morning, normal Monday morning... Can I ask you, what is the first thing that you would normally open up on a Monday morning? Emails? To get ahead of the curve, the workload down, what's coming up that day? Your diary to plan your week, to make sure everything's sorted? Facebook page to see how many likes you've received overnight? The BBC News or the BBC Sports app to catch up on global events and the latest transfer news that's happened in Italy, as if that matters? Or opening up the Bible. 
The word of God, the living and active word, which is the food of God for your souls. Can I suggest to you, if the Bible is not the first thing that you open up in the morning, that you do one of two things. Either you get up earlier or you rearrange your priorities. That you might feed, that you might start the day where you need to start it, which is in the very word of God, which is trustworthy and true. And there is great blessing in keeping God's word that day. Firstly, then, keep God's word in light of the coming of Christ. And then secondly, in light of his coming, a shorter point, remember God's salvation. Remember God's salvation. He's coming back. You stop to remember the salvation that he has brought you every day of your life. And, of course, one great way to remember salvation is with baptism, isn't it? A big, visible sign of a big saving work that God has done in the human heart. That's what we've witnessed this morning. Charlotte Smith washed clean of her sin. All of it. Past, present, future, totally done away with the moment she trusted in Jesus Christ and his death in her place and baptism is just a way of celebrating and visibly seeing what has already taken place in the human heart what a great salvation the old is gone and the new Charlotte Smith who is going to live in the new creation is here it's a salvation that's spoken of in verse 14 isn't it blessed blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Blessed are those who wash their robes. It's not a new picture in the book of Revelation. We've seen the same image already in chapter 7. Let me read it to you. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, these white, clean, pure robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, we cannot clean ourselves up. We cannot deal with our own sin. Even our best deeds are filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. It is only through trusting in Jesus Christ, his blood, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, that we can be fully forgiven and wash clean of our sin. Then if you remember, you probably do, the, the story of the, the prodigal son that Jesus teaches. The son who just wants his father's money, but he doesn't want his dad. And he gets his inheritance, and off he goes, and he blows the whole lot, wild living in a distant land, and he ends up in the pigsty of life, right in the pit where sin takes him. And in that pit, he comes to his senses. And he remembers the father and the life that he's left at home. And he turns around and he heads for home. And as he does, he's reciting his please forgive me speech on the way. Will his father receive him back? But before he can even get near the front gate, his father's down the road. He's spotted him at a distance. He's looking out for his lost son. And as he walks up to his son or runs up to his son... Let me ask you a question. Does he look at his son and say, son, clean yourself up, will you, before you come anywhere near me? Is that what he says? He wraps him up. 
He envelops him in his arms in the filth and the dirt and the sin of his former life and he embraces him just as he is. It is not for us to try and clean ourselves up to come into the presence of God. We cannot do so. We come to him just as we are with all our brokenness and all our mess. And we come to a wonderful saviour who has already cleaned us up through his blood and death on the cross. Blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of Christ. And the result, verse 14, of being washed clean, it's clear for all to see, isn't it? That they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Two images that we looked at last week in the new creation. The heavenly garden with a tree in the middle. Life, fruit, abundance, paradise. And this heavenly city. Picture of peace and prosperity and security. A redeemed and restored community of believers. And we have access to both the garden and the city. Because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And have a look how he describes himself in verse 16. This is our great saviour speaking. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. What a lovely expression that is, isn't it? The bright morning star, the sun, the herald of a new day. Just as the sun rises in the morning and brings light and life and warmth to all of creation, so the bright morning star, the Lord Jesus, rises in our hearts and he brings light and he brings life and he brings warmth to our weary souls as we wait for his return. It's not surprising, is it, that the Spirit leads the church in prayer In verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. This is a picture of the spirit of God at work in his people, the bride of Christ. And he's at work in our hearts and our lives, calling us to cry out for his return. And it's a cry that echoes through creation. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of Life. You see, there are two prayers that a praying church should pray. Firstly, we should be longing, praying, yearning for the return of Jesus Christ. Come back and bring in your new creation. Come back. Come back and rid this world of that beastly rule. Come back. Pick me up in your arms. Wipe that tear from my eye and carry me over the threshold into heaven itself. Come back. Is that not the deep longing of the heart of a believer? And then secondly, in view of that day, I wonder, are we praying earnestly that others would come to Christ and find life in him before it's too late? That they would drink freely of the life-giving waters of the river of life. Praying for family, extended family, praying for friends, praying for work colleagues, praying for our neighbours, praying for this community, praying for this nation, praying for this world that people would wake up and see their saviour and that they too would live happily ever after in God's new world. You see, the Bible is a story of glory, sin, 
judgment, despair, rescue and hope. But for the Christian, for the Christian it all comes together in the end. And they lived happily ever after. And in light of that great reality, the consummation of all things, the return of Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave you at the end of this series with two questions. The first one's there. Are you ready? Please ask yourself that question this morning. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Have you washed your robes in the blood of a wonderful Savior? Have you trusted in him because he's coming back soon like a thief in the night? And we need to be ready for his return. And then secondly, if you have, are you now living your life in a way that helps others be ready for that day? Because when it comes, when that day comes, nothing else will matter. Nothing at all. Only your walk with your Savior as you walk with him into the new creation. And the Bible finishes with these words in verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And the people said? They did. I'm going to invite the band to come up and I'm going to pray for us before we sing in light of what God has done for us in Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is trustworthy and true. Please help us to keep it. Father, thank you that your salvation is sure and it is glorious. Help us to remember it every day of our lives until you return to make all things new. Keep us in you, we pray, until that great and glorious day. For Jesus' sake, amen.